But it's good to gather on this Pentecost Sunday. Um, and as we come into, we've been in this series, this I Am series, um, looking at all the different I Am statements in the book of John. And here as we enter into chapter 15, uh, Jesus begins to welcome his disciples, uh, call his disciples into the last phase of his, what is described as his earthly ministry. And so for us this morning, you know, we're post-ascension, now post-Pentecost Christians. Uh, but these disciples that were here gathered around Jesus were still trying to make sense of the fact that Jesus seemed to be saying goodbye to them, seemed to be telling them that he was going to leave. Um, but it's also clear that his apparent departure, the departure that he's setting up here in the, what's called the farewell discourse, um, has a purpose. Um, and it doesn't mean that his teaching ministry, it seems, it doesn't mean that his teaching ministry or his ministry of seeking and saving the lost um, or his ministry of redemption and healing or his ministry of bringing justice to the poor or reaching outcasts, it, he makes it sound as if that's going to continue, as if he's going to be continually available and active through the work of the Holy Spirit that he promises to the church in chapter 14. Now, I can imagine... Um, I can imagine that it was difficult for everyone who was listening to him to get their heads around how this was going to play out. How is it possible that you are going to leave? You've promised us that you'll return for us. You'll come back to us to take us to the place where you're going. You've promised us a house with many rooms to come and dwell there with your Father. You've promised your Holy Spirit who's teaching comforting presence will help us not feel like a bunch of abandoned orphans when you leave. But how is it exactly that you will continue your work in the world while you're gone? How will that work itself out? How will the eternal quality of life, this kingdom is near to us kind of life that we've treasured and we've grown to be dependent upon while you were with us, how will this continue? I can imagine the disciples thinking, you know, frankly, Jesus, when we're with you, just in the daily routines of life, watching what you do, learning how to live from you, watching how you, you renew and restore the world it person by person as we walk with you through dusty villages, uh, when, we, when we're with you, it's like nothing else. And when we're walking with you and learning from you, it feels like heaven is right here. How's this going to work when you're not here with us anymore? How will this kind of eternal quality of life continue? So Jesus, in his mercy, uh, draws upon an image that would have been very familiar to his listeners in order to show them how the blessing of heaven will continue to extend into the earth while he's away. How will this work itself out? And the image that Jesus uses is the image, the image that he draws upon is the image of Israel as a vine. Now, the story of the, the vine um, begins all the way back in the opening chapters of Genesis where Adam and Eve enjoy unbroken, life-giving fellowship with God that's predicated upon their obedience and, and, and where they're called to bear his image to the whole world. 
called to out of their fellowship with the living God who lives among them in this beautiful space of the garden, called to carry his mercy, his goodness, his righteousness, his faithfulness, his profound love, every element of his character to the world. And we know that that, that goes awry, right? We've all felt the we all felt the sting of that. And so when that goes awry, God says, I'll choose a people. I'll choose a people and I'll make them my own, the people of Israel. And I'll make a way for them to have life-giving fellowship with me. And as they live in obedience to me, I'll bless them. And I'll make them a conduit of my blessing to the whole world so that the whole world will benefit from my union with them. And he chooses this unlikely people. And he pulls them out of slavery and puts them in a new land. He uproots them, and he plants them in a new place. To help them understand who they're supposed to be in the world, he gives them a word picture to hold on to. He tells them that they are like a vine, a vine that's supposed to bring fruit and life and joy and gladness, the presence of the living God to the world a vine that's uprooted and transplanted out of Egypt and transplanted into the promised land. Let's look at Psalm 80, verse 7. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Psalm 80, verse 7, we can see this, we can see this image of the vine here. Psalmist says, Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Listen, they tell the story. They tell their story, and they frame. They, it's clear that they see themselves as this vine. You brought a vine out of Egypt. It's like you can see God taking this people. It's, like a, it's a little vine that he finds and he, he uproots it and he carries it with him and plants it in a new place. You brought a vine out of Egypt and drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land and the mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river when they, when, why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. This vine is uprooted and planted in a new place, was called to be a faithful vine, a true vine. But they were unable to fulfill their calling to be faithful and true. They couldn't be faithful and true. They were supposed to be a people marked by abundant life and the fruitfulness that comes from living in obedience and life-giving fellowship with God. But they were untrue. It's into this world and into this people that have been called in this way, into this acoustic, that Jesus says, I am the true vine. You see, if there's a true vine, it probably means that there was an untrue vine. And I'm sure Israel, in that hearing, understood, ah, we were the untrue vine. And Jesus says, I will obey, though it cost me my own life. And I'll live an unbroken, life-giving fellowship with the Father that comes through perfect obedience. I will live and abide in his love. In a world of broken promises, in a world of half-hearted commitments, part-time obedience, 
I won't break fellowship. I will be a faithful channel of this life to anyone who will come and live in me. And the whole world will benefit from our union because like it was in the beginning, the life of God will flow through me, the new true vine, to the world. You won't be the vine anymore. Israel, you're not the vine anymore because you're unsteady and you're untrue. But if you'll come and live in me, I'll be the faithful vine for all eternity and I'll make you my branches. Responsibility lifted to be the vine. You just come, I'll be the vine. I'll be the faithful one. I'll be the unbroken channel. You come and dwell in me and I'll make you my branches. Jesus says, I am the vine. My role is to continue to be the faithful channel through which the life of heaven will flow into the world. And Jesus also helps us here see the role of the father as the gardener. This interesting divine dresser. It's interesting, it's the exact same role he had in the garden, right? The master gardener. The one who tends to the life and the flourishing of the world. Who organizes and, and renews the world through his wisdom and his planning and his great and profound love. These are the roles that the Father and the Son have in this post-ascension world that we live in as the renewal of the world continues through us, his branches, as we abide in the vine. So what's the invitation that goes out to us this morning? What's the invitation that goes out to us in this passage as post-ascension disciples? And I want to say right here at the outset that this passage raises a lot of questions that I am aware of and that I will not be able to get to this morning. And it's because there's a couple of things that I really want to focus on, and the kids are here with us today, and we've got baptisms. And so I'm going to try to keep things short. Uh, so so um, I won't be able to answer and respond to everything that this passage raises this morning. Um, if you've got questions, I'm happy to talk after the service. But what I want to focus on this morning is listening to the invitation that goes out in this teaching from Jesus to us, his post-ascension disciples. What are the invitations? And the first invitation that I believe we should hear this morning is the invitation to receive the Father's pruning in our lives as an act of love. To receive the Father's pruning in our lives is an act of love. I don't know how many of you all have experienced a season in your life where you sense that God has been actively pruning your life, cutting things away that are choking life out of you. I was reading a little bit about the act of pruning, um, thinking about this. And, you know, if you've got someone who's pruning a rose bush, a rose bush grows and it will just begin to expand and the branches will have all kinds of sprouts. And when it starts to look full, at first the temptation is to really think, man, you know, this is great. This rose bush is really filling out. 
This is fantastic. But a wise gardener, a wise gardener knows that too much growth is actually not good for the plant, right? And they're also very careful to make sure that any of the branches that begin to turn in on itself or any of the branches that begin to cover up the rest of the plant so that it can't re- the rest of the plant can't receive any life, um, a good gardener understands that you've got to lop those off. You've got to cut those branches off. Because the goal is not for the plant to look just incredibly full. The goal is for the plant to bear fruit. And a wise gardener knows that if it cuts off the right branches, if it cuts off the right branches, the ones that are blocking the shade or the ones that are growing in itself or the ones that are drawing too many resources from the vine, they're drawing resources away from the rest of the vine. A wise gardener knows if you cut those off and prune those, that what the result will be that the rose bush will become what the rose bush was designed for it to become. It will become the quintessence of a rose bush. Now, the challenge for us is that when we're in a season of pruning, this is, for me, the most difficult thing about the Father's pruning in our lives, is that often we don't understand what, that it's going on until it's over. <laughs> and we look back on it, and we can see what he was doing. I'll just share a story with you guys from, uh, from my life. Um, several years ago, uh, now, uh, Sharon and I moved to Hyde Park. We took our family to Hyde Park because um, I had this dream for the longest time to establish an intentional community uh, in Hyde Park, somewhere uh, in the world, uh, an intentional community. And I was incredibly idealistic about the way that, that we should live our lives. I had this vision of what faithful Christian life in America that prophetically engaged all of the forces that, that, that try to suck the life out of us and you know how we would come together and we would live and we wouldn't be consumers. We would be people who would live together in great fruitfulness and we'd be people of prayer and devotion. And I had this dream of creating this kind of community um, that people could come to, and, and it would sort of be an example for the world to see. You know, it was a pretty big dream. You know, I thought, this is the way I was thinking. It would be an example, at least for the neighborhood, and then I thought, you know, it might, other people might see it, and I'd been influenced by communities around the world. And if you would have looked at me as a plant at that time in my life, you would have probably seen that sprout coming out of me as a branch, and you would have been like, man, that idealism sprout, that thing's got it's got a bud on it. Like, that, that, that thing's got some promise, right? It really does. That idealism really looks like it's going to produce something really beautiful eventually. There's going to be a beautiful something come out of that, right? But the reality was, now that in hindsight, God knew that that idealism was actually going to choke out life in other parts of it was going to cause me to be less fruitful in my life than, than, than more fruitful. God knew that that idealism was actually drawing too many resources, and it was blocking shade. You see, because idealism works like this, right? I mean, leaders who are idealists. It's really beautiful when the idealism functions as a crown that you can hold over people's heads so that they can grow into it, right? Right? That's beautiful. When idealism is working right, it's like a crown that you hold over people's heads and they just kind of grow up into it. 
problem with idealism often, though, is that it more often functions as a heavy burden that's placed on people's shoulders. And I, as a leader, couldn't see the way that my idealism was choking out the life of God and causing to be less fruitful in my life than God intended for me to be. And so through an incredibly painful series of circumstances, God pruned it off. He cut off my idealism. Now, some of you who are idealists and you draw upon that to drive a lot of your life, it's probably a frightening proposition to you to hear this morning. How could I possibly live without my idealism? And I'm working through that. What sort of fuel can I draw upon? Of course, not, idealism is not all bad. It was how God, I was using it in my life that it was choking out the life of God. But God, the faithful gardener in my life, saw fit to prune that off so that I might grow and flourish and be fruitful in other ways. And now I'm learning other ways to use giftedness and to be fruitful, right? But I didn't know that's what he was doing when I was going through that painful time. It wasn't until afterward that I was able to look on the ground and see, see that sprout on the ground. I want to ask you this morning, what is the Father trying to prune in your life? What does he need to cut away so that you might be more fruitful? What does God, the good gardener, need to take his pruning shears to in your life this morning? Where is he actively working in this way of loving pruning? So our first invitation is to receive the Father's pruning as an act of love. And the second invitation this morning that comes out from this passage, I believe for us, is the invitation to abide. It's one that comes out so clearly. To abide, dwell, and remain in the vine. This word abide is such a beautiful, interesting word because it, it, it does mean to either abide or to remain. It's the word that's used to, for, to dwell, like in a house. Uh, to dwell in a house. And... The teaching, what Jesus puts forward here uh, in this passage is that the branch, the branch draws everything it needs to survive and bear fruit from the vine. When we think about the natural world and you think about the branch, it's just a fact of nature, right? You snip off that branch and it absolutely cannot live without the resources of the vine. It absolutely cannot live without those resources. And what Jesus, I believe, is inviting us to do this morning is to call us to maintain, maintain and focus on the only connection in our lives, the only connection in our lives that's actually able to give us what we need for eternal life. And it's the connection to the relationship that exists between the Father and the Son and the heart of that relationship is the love of God. What Jesus is inviting us to do is to, is to uh, take our focus off of all the other things that we're connected to and all the other places that we are connecting our hearts to in search of life 
and sustenance and nourishment and make sure that our primary vital connection is to him and his love. I've been working recently with a, with a large uh, land trust here in Chicago um, in my work. And uh, part of my work has been to go on site and to do uh, some research for all the people that visit this land trust um, and to uh, talk to them and learn what do they get out of? What is it that they get out of coming to this big, beautiful, incredibly, uh, incredibly uh, uh, breathtakingly beautiful natural space? Like, what is it that they get out of coming to this space? And so I was out there this week, and I was talking and interviewing people as they were, they were walking around and uh, had a lot of great conversations with people and heard over and over again, well, the reason I come to this space is because I, I want to connect myself and I want to connect my kids to nature. Like, I want to connect them to nature because I sense my kids are in the suburbs and I, and I can sense that they need a connection to nature, right? And so I want to provide that connection to nature. And they were like, I want my kids to be able to like run free because their lives are so structured. I want them to just be able to run and I want them to just to be able to go out and do whatever they can do and just play and not worry about, not worry about getting hurt and just go out and run. And so and then people also said, you know, I, I want to connect with my friends. So I, sometimes I come here with, with other people. And so I, I listened to all these people as they talked about what they were trying to connect, what they were doing when they were there. And then I sat back and, and positioned myself where I could watch people walk into this facility and watched what they were doing and sort of listened to their conversations as they were coming in. And it was so funny because the first thing I noticed is I was there early in the morning. It was like the stroller brigade. Like, it was like, it was unbelievable. It was all these suburban moms with strollers. And like, some of them were like four wide, like three wide. It was crazy, like watching all, all these moms come in, you know, with their kids. And all the things that I'd heard in the interviews just began to confirm themselves. You know, it was like, these parents were really, really wanting to, just to connect their kids to nature because they knew how important that was. And then this one mom walked by, and I heard, and she had her little boy in front of her. And um, as she was walking, right when she got in front of where I was positioned, she said, what I want you to do is run and run and run and run and then run back to me. And I just, I was sitting there and I thought, she just captured it perfectly. The two connections she was seeking, right? I want you to run and run and run and run. Four runs. And then run back to me. So I'm bringing here because I want you to connect to what, to the goodness that's here. Connect to nature. It's a connection I know that you need. But I'm also bringing here because I want you to ultimately come back to me, to connect to me. We spend our lives connecting to all sorts of different things, don't we? We spend our lives thinking about the connections that we need in order to have a good and successful and fruitful life. You know, I need some connection to nature. I need some connection to other people. I need some connection to, I need some connection to the land. I need some connection to, to justice. I need some connection to righteousness. I, I need some connection to, to a movement. I need some connection to purpose. And our hearts search for the connections that will bring us life. 
I need, uh, what I need is a relationship. I need a closer friend. I need someone, I need someone who, who can really, really share my burdens. I need, what, I, I need this. I need that. We need all these connections. And you know what? There's nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, most of those connections that, that I just listed are in the garden. God called them good kinds of connections, right? They're good connections, connection to nature, connection to justice and righteousness and purpose and relationships and friendship. Those are all good connections. But they're not, they're not the one connection, the one connection that can bring us life. And so even though they're good, they, they aren't the one connection that can bring us life. Jesus says, what I need you to be connected to in order to bear fruit in the world, is I, I want you to be connected to me and to the love that exists between me and my Father. I think it's helpful to think about this, this because of the usage of the word to dwell. I think it's ha- helpful to think of it as a house. It's almost as if... Uh, the picture that Jesus is painting, especially since we look at John 14 and, and we see that Jesus is preparing a place for us, right? He is preparing a house. And it's as if the Father and the Son have dwelt for all eternity and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have dwelt for all eternity in this house that is entirely constructed of love. The floor, the joists, the front door, the back door, the front porch, the ceiling, the whole thing is held together by the love and the intimate fellowship that exists between, that exists in the Godhead. And Jesus says, I want you to move into this house with us. And there's only one house rule, right? Is that you love like we do. That's the one house rule, is that you love like us. I want to ask you this morning, what connections are you looking for in your life today that you think will bring you life that aren't? What connection have you been seeking life from that you right now realize you're dissatisfied with? Isn't doing for you what you'd hoped it would do? I want to ask you, how can you rearrange your week? I'm not going to say rearrange your life. Rearrange this week so that you can bring yourself back again into vital connection with Jesus and the love of God. Are you connected to looking good at work? Are you connected to a relationship that you're looking to fulfill all your needs? Are you connected to some sort of dream relationship that you're hoping will fulfill all of your needs? Are you connected to a vision of the world as you think it should be, that if that just worked out like you think it should, that's the thing that would bring you life? Are you connected to, oh, if I just got this part, or oh, if I just got this job, or oh, if I just got recognized in this way? What are you connected to this morning that needs to be laid aside so that you can then reconnect your heart and your life to the love of God in Christ Jesus and dwell in the house that love built that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. For most people, 
the best way to enter into that space, to begin to then dwell, if you feel like you're, you've gotten a little off track, the best thing to do is take 30 minutes of silence and solitude. 30 minutes with the word. Dallas Willard talks about how really it's only in silence and solitude that we begin, that all of the relationships with all the things that we've connected our hearts to can be sort of examined and we can begin to untangle ourselves from all those things. I want to invite you this week. I want to invite you this week. Rearrange your, rearrange your life so that you can abide in the vine. Dwell in the vine. Abide in his love so that you can bear much fruit. Amen? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.